Food and Beverage Magazine Live, bringing food and beverage to life with your hosts, James Beard Award winner Jennifer English and Food and Beverage Magazine publisher Michael Politz. Featuring leaders in the hospitality, branded food and beverage, and CPG industries, many of whom are Jennifer and Michael's friends in the business. For an informal and informative conversation where friends in the business share the latest intel, ideas, and best practices. Live, juicy inside scoop from the tastemakers, newsmakers, bread bakers, drink shakers, spoon lickers, clam diggers, farms, foodies, and friends of the food and beverage magazine world. Here are your hosts, Jennifer English and Michael Politz. Oh, sorry, How I was still you? dancing. You know, every time it says that, I think of this song by my friend Teddy Riley called Rump Shakers. Oh, yeah. Check, baby, check, one. baby, one, two, three. Every time I hear that opening, I think of Rump Shaker. Is that awkward or what? No, I, I love that song. Okay, just check. Why isn't that our theme song? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that would be appropriate. Good things for sharing. So let's talk. We got a great today. We got, look, I, you already have water in there? I got some water right here. I got some club soda where it belongs. I love club. Does it make you gassy? No. Well, that's good. Everybody no. wanted to know. Listen, it's a it's a very funny day. It's um, it's a tickly gonna, kind of day. You know, it's uh, it's nine eleven. And a horrible day. Enough, and if you are old enough to remember what nine eleven means, this is uh, the kind of day that reminds us why the hospitality industry is too important to fail. Banks were too big, but the hospitality industry is too important to fail. And windows on the world. What about windows on the world? Listen, Michael and Monica is actually coming to visit with us in a couple of weeks. We had to get on his schedule. Uh, and and it's, a, it's a very difficult day. He lost his entire team. But um, we have to remember that 9-11 was our first sort of big change life forever moment for our generation. Mm -hmm. And when we are in pain, I'm going to argue even more than when we celebrate the happy moments, our restaurants and our, and our local places where we gather together publicly are so mm -hmm. important. You know, we're going to have a, a bartender on with us today. who's one of the best in the country. And we'll get to ask her questions like, you know, how important I would, are you calling her a bartender? Parts? That's horrendous. We'll ask her if she's offended or complimented by that because it's the highest compliment. I'm offended. I don't care if she... Listen, more importantly, can we say more importantly without offending Lynn House, our favorite from Heaven Hill? Today is not only a horrible 9-11 because of New York and, and America, but it's we lost one of our best friends five years ago today, Carrie Simon, to a horrible disease. And uh, look at this man. This is not far from when he passed. This is how he looked, right? This is a, a, a stallion, a stud, a superhuman chef, a rock star of the chef world, right? One of my best friends, one of your close friends. And it's nice to remember him on a day like today. You know, he did pass. I, I basically saw him five years ago in one day. I sat in his hospital bed with him and he couldn't communicate, but other than with his eyes. And I'll never forget the looks in his eye. Um, when he looked at me and he said, Michael, Jennifer English. And then he, and then he vomited. I don't know what that meant, but it was, it was awkward. And then he died the next day. It was bizarre. Bizarre, I tell you. 
Listen, when we lose people we love and when we share public moments of grief as we're doing in COVID, we need public places to bring us together. If you want further affirmation that the restaurants and bars that are the core of our cultural communities are critically important to us, days like this remind us that we want to have places we can go to. Yes. And as we adapt. And libations are libations we can turn to. And that's why today you have yes. reached far and wide for this expert. Well, she's here to represent a program that's taking place in the state of Arizona where women are getting together to do to-go cocktails. Um, but this can happen anywhere in the country. And we're doing this today because we're inspired by and we hope to inspire others to take the lead and the lesson of Lynn House and the good folks from Heaven Hill that are partnering up with um Kylie Asher and, and so many of our friends to bring this program to life. Leave it to the women in our industry to step up and welcome everybody into our public moment of let's get through this together. Uh, and it's really fitting uh, that on a day like this, we do so with one of the industry's true leaders, one of the true professionals. Uh, she joins us now from her bar in Chicago. Excuse me, Lynn. Wow, that was weird. I don't even know how to edit that out. Terrible timing. I'm sorry, Lynn. It must be true what you're saying. It must be true. Hello, Lynn. Good afternoon. Hello, good afternoon. Good evening. I'm in Chicago, so it's actually evening here now. So, Jennifer, I'm going to let you and Lynn talk about libations. Good. That's the best thing you could give me as a present today. Hey, Lynn. Listen, I want to start off by welcoming you. And I know on a day like this where you don't know if it's okay, you don't want to seem tone deaf, you want to do, I, I take a page from everybody who is in the history and the lineage and the legacy of our industry who made a comfortable place for us to come together during moments of public grief and sorrow um, to start off by saying, help us understand what to do when you don't know what to do and how we can always look to the hospitality industry for some guidance about how to handle these difficult moments. You know, what I've learned in hospitality, I've been in this industry for over 30 years and what to do when you don't know what to do is to really work hard not to be alone and to find somebody. And that's why the hospitality industry is so important you know, I know on the day of 9-11 in New York, I have a lot of friends who live in New York. I used to live in New York for a while. You know, I'm trying to get a hold of all of them. And they were like meeting up at places that were open just to kind of gather and touch each other and hug each other, you know, cry together. I've had experiences at my own in bars that I worked in throughout the course of the years you know, I remember, gosh, it was about 15 years ago, I had a mother and daughter come into my bar and they just drank water and they were super nice. And, you know, um, I gave them water, sent them out a little snack because they seemed kind of down. And then the mother thanked me. She's like, you know, her sister just passed and we're here closing up our home and we uh. didn't know where to go. We just didn't want to be alone. And we were walking in the neighborhood and we saw your bar, you know, and there were seats. And they sat at the bar and, you know, I was just so honored to be able to give that moment of breath for them. 
And that moment where they could just kind of escape from the sorrows that they were dealing with and that moment where they got to just celebrate and kind of relax. And I think that's just something that the hospitality industries, bars, restaurants all get to offer for people. You know, it's not just going out and having a great meal or having a cocktail. It's companionship. It's camaraderie. Bartenders, we are psychologists, we're doctors, we're psychiatrists, you know, we're listeners. And so many people that sit at your bar, whether it's in times of joy or in times of sorrow, just want to be heard and seen. And um, so that's what I think of today. You know, it, it's, a, it's a time to reflect and to gather and to remind yourself of what is most important, and that's people and life. And, you know, that's what bars and restaurants offer you the opportunity to do. You've had a long time to think about your role in our public life. And that brings me back to that long tradition of public houses dating back to colonial times and to, you know, merry, merry old. Um, personally, how important do you think a public space is for us to be able to come together? What do you think about the value of the public house in today's times? I think the public space has never had more importance than it does now. It is a place where you can kind of step out of your, you know, everyday life and step into somewhere new. It's an escape. It is a place where, you know, if you've had a bad day, you can come and just kind of shake it off for a while. If you've had a great day, you can come and celebrate and elevate. It's a meeting space, you know, and we have to remember that humans are pack animals. We are designed by nature to gather together, whether good times or bad times. And the public spaces are so important. You know, right now we're at this weird point in the hospitality industry where places are closing, some are open, many are open at smaller capacity. I actually finally, for the first time in seven months, um, these past week went out to dinner twice. And it just was such um it was such just a breath of fresh air, you know, to kind of see people and to gather and to talk with the server and talk with the bartender and, and just kind of forget that we're in the middle of a pandemic, you know, for two hours. And um, it was just really, really nice. And so it's, it's, it's important for us to have these public spaces that we can gather and that we can, you know, lean on each other and support each other. So as uh, one of the senior members of the uh, mixology team and brand ambassador team um, for Heaven Hill, um, and we'll remind everybody what those delicious brands are in a minute, uh, you get to go around the country and develop programs and work with people in our industry. So I want to just start by saying the industry is still here. Some places are still open or partially open. And for those places that are, you really were instrumental in working with the team that launched this incredible program that prompted our saying, let's get together today and celebrate how we can be adaptive in this moment in time relative to COVID. And it involves cocktails to go. And not every place in the country has this right now. And maybe someplace that doesn't have this can be inspired by what we're talking about today. Talk a little bit about the program that we're here to talk about. So kind of a two-part series. Yes, there are so many venues that are still open and a lot of people have had to reinvent how they do business. 
and cocktails to go. You know, unfortunately, it's not legal across the country yet. More and more states are adapting this. It's a, it's a great way for venues to create cocktail kits to go, you know, that people can come curbside pickup and still go home and have that amazing experience. It allows the bar teams to be creative and allows revenue to come into these venues while they're at these times. So these are really important programs. And I hope, you know, throughout the course of the rest of the year that this becomes a national program that every state adopts cocktail to go programs. Um, what we're celebrating today, though, is particularly in Arizona and Kaylee Asher, fantastic, fantastic being who I've known for years. Um, her husband, Jason Asher, and together they co-own uh, Century Grand and Undertow, which are two phenomenal places and have been super active in the beverage community. And this event was actually supposed to be live in August. I was scheduled to come and spend a week and do mentorship and do um, seminars with female bartenders throughout Arizona. Um, obviously the pandemic has thrown a huge wrench and everything's gone virtual. So what we are doing um, this year, and it you know goes live for this month of September is she's essentially got, I think about eight or nine mentors from across the country, women who have had long successful careers in this industry. And she's paired each one of us up with an up and coming young female bartender throughout Arizona. So I'm working with Chanel uh, Godwin, who's coming from Little Rituals in Phoenix. And we have a month of mentorship. You know, they have cocktails that they're going to create. We kind of ping back and forth and talk about the cocktail. We talk about the industry. Um, we talk about everything, you know, what it feels like to be a woman in this industry, some of the struggles. You know, it's, it's a very on, open and ongoing relationship. At the end result, there's going to be to-go cocktail packages that they will sell for a week. And the profits from that will go to another round, another rally, which is an amazing organization. We partnered with them at Heaven Hill as well. Um, that is essentially raising direct funds for people in the hospitality industry. Who need it? Who need it? Who need it? They really, really need it. You know, you live off tips. Um, a lot of people don't have health insurance. Um, you know, they're, they suddenly had a job and the next day didn't have a job and haven't, some haven't had jobs for seven months. And so it's an amazing charitable organization to support. And it's an amazing thing what Kaylee has done putting together, you know, in celebration of women's day and women's equality day and partnering, you know, essentially two generations of women together to just kind of keep paying it forward. Well, now. I have to stop first and talk about Little Rituals. I think it could be one of the most exciting. Um, and, and we've got to talk about the fact that Arizona is is glowing brightly on the cocktail national map with places like uh, Century Grand. But Little Rituals, I'm a big fan of. And, and I have to be full disclosure and somewhat um, um, un, un, I have to, I'm biased. Okay. Um, but, that's, but that's because uh, Doc DeFeo, who's the creative genius behind Little Rituals, was somebody that I consider, um, I, I'm a mentor to Doc. Okay. And one of the interesting things I wanted to talk to you about is in this idea of mentoring. Because when I was young and coming up, there were very few women who could mentor me. Uh, and it was a couple of years before I met um, uh, Audrey Sanders and Lou Brown. Uh, and there were few of us in the industry at that point. And, and you remember, cause we were all there at the same time. 
<laughs> and then when we go to turn around and mentor, there were a few women bartenders coming up, but there weren't a lot. I, on the on the on the coasts and in the cities, we had people like Julie Reiner, um, and Ivy Mix, and um, Lynette Marrero, who are now part of this you know global dynamic. Uh, and then on the West Coast, women I've subsequently mentored, like Lauren Moat and Sabrine Dollywall and and you know Kristen uh, Caitlin Stewart, um, who won the uh, international competition a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. We have them now. But it wasn't always the case. And so when we talk about how important this mentoring program is and how to do it at a time, oh, there, there's their fantastic menu. Look at that. Awesome. Um, uh, I have to have you address this because we came up in that sort of that bridge generation where there weren't enough of us to go around and we ended up mentoring anybody and everybody because we were all trying to get there together. You, you see what I'm saying? No, absolutely. Yes. So when I was coming up um, here in Chicago, I was incredibly fortunate to study and be mentored by uh, Bridget Albert. Um, and she had been mentored by Tony Albuganum. And of course, Helen Davis was his, you know, famous aunt who was a pioneer for women post pre, you know, uh, prohibition in the industry. So I always say I have like this kind of indirect line to Helen Davis, but it was, it was, you know, when I was coming up and I had worked as a server behind the bar, had gotten bit by the cocktail bug, but there weren't a lot of people that looked like me out there. He was Bridget, the Academy of uh, Spirits and Fine Service. And I saw this woman being so successful in an industry where there were few and far of us in between. Yeah. And I remember when I was done with the course, it was a 12 week course and she sat me down and she's like, you have a gift and you need to like, just put your nose to the grindstone. I think you're going to be really successful and I'm going to do what I can to help you. So that was my personal mentor. And, you know, Audrey Saunders from afar, absolutely. Julie Reiner from afar. I'm really great friends with Lynette. Lynette and I were baby bartenders together. We met at Tales for the first time like 14 years ago. Oh, neat. You know, um, Ivy, fantastic. And so and what they've done with Speed Rack is another way to really engage women, promote women, and celebrate women in the industry. Kind of a double-edged sword for me also as a woman of color where I saw very few women, I saw no one of color in the industry, let alone a female of color, a few men here and there. And so for me, mentorship has been so important because I found mentors and um, I come from a family that was very heavily involved in civil rights. And so being an activist, being a voice, paying it forward is just a value that I've personally grown up with. And so for me, it was really important to be visible, to be vocal, to speak up. And when I saw people who were really, you know, interested and that I thought that they could go far in this industry, grabbing them, I'm like, you know, let me, let me guide you. Let me help you. And now, you know, our industry has become so much more diverse gender wise and through ethnicity and gender identification you know, I think it's really important, but we still have a long way to go, but it has, you know, you're right. So 10, 12 years ago, it was, there were very few people that you could look up 
you know, that just wasn't honestly a straight white man, you know, to inspire you. But I also had, I have to say, a lot of men who mentored and helped lift up Gaz Regan, yeah. you know, beloved. Jared Brown, Anastasia Miller. It's not like we didn't have mentors. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, I'll take it all the way back to the first year of Tales of the Cocktail and our very first seminar panel. The first year we had one seminar. Right. Yeah. And what's dynamic about that is we really were all in this together. We were a couple hundred cocktail geeks and we just wanted everyone to have a good time. We wanted everyone to feel like there was room at the table. And it wasn't up to us who showed up. We just opened the doors. Right. And every year, exponentially more people were invited. And But every year, everybody was always welcome. And that's sort of the beauty of our industry is that there's this genuine core sense of welcoming. Right. And that's the importance, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier about the need for public spaces in hospitality, we are the welcoming industry in the world, you know, and to know that you always have somewhere that you can go where you feel welcomed. It's just so important. It's so important. Um, now you were making uh, an old fashioned to start us off. And I wanted you to talk a little bit about the program at Little Rituals and how you've partnered in a mentoring role and what that actually means and how people can be sort of inspired by what you're doing right now? So I'm starting off with an old fashioned classic cocktail. You know, what I love about an old fashioned is from a cocktail construct, it really just kind of defines what a cocktail is supposed to be. Spirit, sugar, water, bitters. So I've got two ounces of Elijah Craig, a half ounce of simple syrup, some aromatic bitters, stir that, and then just finish it off with a little cherry and orange. So cheers to everybody. We'll start with that. Cheers. I've got my soda for my first round. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, but with what we're doing is it's several bars, and I just happen to be partnered with Chanel at Little Rituals. So I'm not directly working with their program. I'm directly working with her, which I gotcha. think is fantastic because it is within a program, you know, you can you tend to take the lead, but how do you start to develop your own voice? And right. find your own voice. So essentially the way this program worked was each um, mentee has a mentor and we all have a brand associated with us. So I'm working with Elijah Craig today. It's National Bourbon Heritage Month. Chanel got Elijah Craig and DuVernay, another spirit in our portfolio as the two spirits to work with in her cocktail. And that just comes from a sponsorship side. Um, but it's up to her to make the cocktail and it's up to Chanel for her voice to shine. And so it's been really fun. We've had about three conversations already. We do it once a week. And she talks to me about what she's thinking, flavors she's playing with. You know, I kind of give a little, hey, that's great. Or maybe you want to tweak this. I share with her my own experiences of when I ran beverage programs, of the cocktails I developed and what my personal ideology was behind developing a cocktail. And, you know, not everyone opens their book, you know. And so for me, mentorship is about opening your book and sharing your secrets. And people can pull from what works for them, what doesn't work for them. They can modify it. And what we've also been doing is a lot of conversations of like, 
just what are the challenges of being a woman in the industry? What are the challenges of being in the industry during this pandemic? You know, what are the financial struggles? What are what are other options, you know, that I can suggest? Well, hey, maybe take the time to study or to do this or to round yourself out. So we've had really cool, great conversations, not just about the cocktail, but again, you said this is a welcoming industry and it's an industry about people. So we've just had to be great women together, people together, talking about and me sharing some of my learning lessons and philosophies and, and stuff like that. So, Hey, um, Lynn, I want to ask you about not only um, the old fashioned you made, but talk about the Heaven Hill portfolio. Uh, not everybody recognizes the sort of family of labels that a brand might bring to market and the way that the industry is sort of structured today. Uh, that the kissing cousins in the bourbon portfolio have relationships with one another that they do. And it's also important to note that we just had the Kentucky Derby a week ago and it was won by an Arizonan. So we have all these funny little connections. Baffert won again. Uh, and one of the funny things for me about that is uh, the first year I won the James Beard prize uh, was for my Kentucky Derby show. So my heart well, I've never been to the great Commonwealth of Kentucky, my bucket list and quite literally the top of my bucket list is to go to Kentucky. So this all ties together so uh, synchronously and beautifully for me. And I really want to focus on the sort of um, the, 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 the Kentucky bourbon family at Heaven Hill. Mm hmm. <laughs> So first and foremost, we're going to have to, when everything opens up, tick that, you know, box on your, on your list and get you out to Kentucky and get you on the bourbon trail. It's so uh, much fun to see not only what we're doing, but what all the other distilleries are doing. You Lynn, know. Lynn, can I be on the Dubonnet trail? Because that's my favorite drink. Ah, awesome. I actually help reformulate it. So love it. you can be on that trail too. We make that in Kentucky as well. So you can come out for that. Can I tell um, you, I wish... Do you offer the Dubonnet yet in a six pack of splits? <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Let me know what you do. Okay. All right. That's a good, that's a good note. I'll, I'll send that back to the brand teams. Um, but one of the things that you mentioned about Heaven Hill right off the bat, when you talked about a family of things, we are family owned and operated distillery. Uh, we are actually the largest family owned and operated distillery in the United States. Um, we're the second largest producers of American whiskey. And this year on December 13th, um, we will be celebrating 85 years of business. It's the second wow. and third generation of the family, of the Shapira family, you know, running the business. So we're still a private. Um, I mean, we've grown so much in those 85 years, um, but we're still very much a small company, an independent company by the way we operate. Um, we are first and foremost a whiskey house. So under the Heaven Hill Distillery, like you've got Elijah Craig, you've got Rittenhouse, you've got Parker's Heritage, which was created by Parker Beam. You know, you talk about, and yes, he is a cousin of Jim Beam. So when you talk about those relations, you know, we had three generations of Beams distilling for us. Now our current master distiller is an amazing man named um, Connor Driscoll, you know, who came to us from Brown Foreman. Um, we make Mellow Corn. We make Evan Williams, which is the second largest selling bourbon in the world. We make Henry McKenna, which last year won at San Francisco World Spirits um, best whiskey in the world, you know, surpassing scotches and such. And it was only the second time a bourbon 
took that category and the previous bourbon that had taken that category had actually been a release of ours, Harper Beam, from years before that. Um, we make vodka, we have Deep Eddie vodka, we make Burnett's vodka, we make Lunazul tequila, uh, we make Blackheart rum, we make Admiral Nelson rum, we make Domaine Canton, we make Palma, we make Dubonnet, as we mentioned. And um, I always have to give a shout out and raise with the roof, we make Hypnotic. Um, so we have an incredibly diverse and huge portfolio. Um, Carillon's is another. Last year, we actually uh, closed the deal. We purchased Black Velvet um, Canadian whiskey. Oh, wow. So we have, a, we have a very, very big portfolio, which keeps me incredibly busy as the portfolio mixologist. Um, but the thing that's so unique about Kentucky is, while on the shelf or in restaurants or in bars, all the brands can be competitive. When you're in Kentucky and you go, you'll see everybody grew up down the street from everyone. And everyone is our great, great friends. You know, 1996, we had a lightning strike and our distillery went on fire. You could actually go back and look at footage of the fire that you could see from space. 2% wow. of the whiskey went up that day. Um, we are very lucky that no lives were lost. We just lost a lot of whiskey. We lost our distillery. We lost several rickhouses. And what happened after that, that speaks to just kind of the family sense of Kentucky and particularly that bourbon industry was all the distilleries came to our aid, you know, until we could get a new distillery, we were making our whiskey at another distillery. Other people helped us with, you know, storage and such. When Parker Bean was diagnosed with ALS years ago, every every bourbon distillery in Kentucky came together and we made, you know, a Bean release, Project of Hope, which the proceeds went to ALS, you know, and, and they all created and did ALS fundraisers, you know. So Kentucky's a really super special place. If anyone out there gets a chance to do the bourbon tour, it's amazing. It's a slice in history. It's fun. Um, you know, it's not, stuck. And, 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 we, and we should say that the tradition and the culture of the place in many ways is very reminiscent of the culture and the community in Napa Valley wine country. Absolutely. It's, it's incredibly chill. Everyone takes a tremendous amount of pride in what we do. You know, there's more bourbon barrels in Kentucky than there are people. So it is a, it is a history <laughs> of the state. You know, and everyone takes a lot of pride and pretty much every single person in Kentucky, I'm going to say, is about two or three degrees separated from the bourbon industry. So um, it's important to note also that in an industry where you think of nothing but good times and celebrations and some of my favorite toasts were given to me by uh, John Brecher and Dorothy Gator, the husband and wife team from the Wall Street Journal's Guide to Wine, where they they wish a lifetime of moments worth celebrating. And, and yes, we all hope for joy, but we have to acknowledge that during moments of challenge, even perhaps more so than in moments of joy, ours is not an industry just of partying frivolously, that the humanity and the spiritual connection that we get from coming together and the, and the spiritual nourishment we get from being together and supporting one another, this notion of we're all in this together is as true in a place like uh, Bourbon, Kentucky, as it is anywhere in, in, in our industry. Will you talk a little bit about that? You know, that sense of 
of of how important we are as a as a as a family as a community i think the one thing that i always when i'm out and i'm doing seminars and talking to people i always love to say that we're in the best industry in the world you know we don't live in cubicles although in the pandemic i'm living in a cubicle now my home um we don't live in cubicles. We get to experience so much. We get to experience people and every single day is really something different. You know, that was the one thing when I was still behind the bar, you could never predict how your night was going to go. You never could right. really predict who was going to come into your bar. Um, you just had to be open to that experience. And I know I had times of great joy at times of great sorrow because my role when I was behind the bar was kind of to be that receptor for whatever the person sitting on the other side of the bar was. And if it was and what they needed and what they needed, you know, I mentioned, you know, I had people get engaged my bars. I had people break up at my bar and then I'd have to sit with the person who got dumped. You know, um, we had days like today of remembrance and, you know, grief, still and we just kind of could sit there and you could sit in silence but you weren't sitting alone you know and as the bartender you know, we, server you're at, there at the beginning of the show i was calling you a bartender and i mean that as the highest compliment but i was making the point that there was always a sort of running joke that the bartender was actually the public psychologist oh absolutely <laughs> do you think that's still the case Absolutely. 100%. Um, I, you know, I have, when I was a bartender, still even in brand work, you know, I'm not behind the stick anymore. I'm kind of elevated to what I do, but I still do the same thing with making cocktails, interacting with people, talking with people. And there's just something that people really trust in their bartender or someone who's come from that industry. I still have, when I'm doing an event, people come and like share with me their deepest, darkest secrets, you know, and look for advice because I've come from an industry of listening, not just creating, but listening. We're really good listeners. And so- Let me, Lynn, let me listen. Let's, let me ask you a question about listeners. Now, I have a great friend, very close friend, very close to me. Some would say he's a bartender. Why are you laughing, Jennifer? I don't know that he's such a good listener. Jennifer, he's the best listener. He's T one of the best. TAG, TAG. We're talking about Lynn. You know TAG. Yes. Do you think Tony's a good listener? I do. Okay, me too. I'm just kidding. I love Tony. Tony is Tony and I have I've known him for years, and he's a great listener. And he was a huge mentor to me, and we share some really funny memories together. And. He, he has the biggest heart, and that's why yes. he's been a to so many people because he's such a gentle soul and he feels things so deeply. You know, the last time I saw him was, oh, I want to say in November, mm -hmm. you know, and I taught a class at his bar that he was opening in Michigan. And wow, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't like stop hugging each other enough and laughing. And, you know, I was sharing with them the lessons of when I was at, silly little baby bartender and you know tony was looking at me and was like this girl's kind of kooky but i like her but he's a fantastic listener and that's to me what makes you know hospitality industry 
draws those people yeah. into it. He's a brilliant, brilliant man. Yeah. Tony Abugana, brilliant man, right, Jen? Brilliant man. Yes. All right. Now listen, um, we're gonna run out of time and and I don't want to do that. And I feel badly because I bet your ice is broken. Do you want to get fresh ice? Uh, I'm good. I mean, I'm in my house, so I have the ice that I have. <laughs> what, what, what does that mean? Your ice has broken. I've never heard of such it's a thing. It's starting to melt and kind of, but it's okay. I've well, Tony, of- by the way, Lynn, Tony uses a bag for his ice. He has oh, a- wait. Are you talking a about? bag. Yes. He puts his ice in that bag. I have no idea why. <laughs> bag. So it's a Tony bag. Yes. <laughs> I have a couple of them. I have a bunch of his tools. He uses, so you use a Lewis bag when you're going to, crush your ice and stuff like that because then you can break it down and it doesn't melt all over the place but i just need ice for stirring so even though it's kind of melts a little bit we're good let's do it it's when you're making a creme de menthe frappe but that's another story for another day right lynn absolutely <laughs> and i goes- actually have a picture i have an image here of jennifer when she was younger making a creme de menthe frappe here it is look at her look look at this <laughs> doesn't she look good doing that i mean there's jen in the kitchen very sexy, very sexy. <laughs> What's wrong, so, Jen? No? I know. Uh, what am I going to do? All right, let's go. We got we, we to gotta go. We got to go. We got to go. All right. So today is a very reverent day, and um, I used to live in Manhattan. Um, I think all of us are with New York and New Yorkers today. So wanted to make um, a, a perfect Manhattan. Um to just toast and toast to life and to peace and love and coming together and community. So we're going to make a perfect Manhattan today. All right. So traditionally a Manhattan is going to be, um, we can know it classically as a bourbon cocktail. Rye whiskey was probably the initial. There's so much kind of cloudiness around the actual Manhattan. Was it created in the 1870s? at the Manhattan Club, was it created earlier? It's a variation of the Martinez. But from the 1940s, we know that David Embry said that this is one of the six essential cocktails that everyone should know. And traditionally, it's gonna be two parts, um, a whiskey, one part sweet vermouth, and some aromatic bitters. I like a perfect because I really like the whiskey to come out. I don't like sweet cocktails. So what makes a Manhattan a perfect Manhattan is we're gonna split the difference with those vermouths. So I'm actually gonna start off with a half ounce of dry vermouth, which is gonna bring some nice acidity into the cocktail, um, little citrus notes, and then I'm gonna do a half ounce of sweet vermouth because you still do want some of that sweetness in there. And I'm a huge fan of the two to one ratio. Some people are a three to one. I like the two to one ratio. So since we did a collective one ounce of the vermouths, we're gonna do two ounces of the Elijah Craig bourbon. So I like using Elijah Craig out of our portfolio um, because this is a high rye bourbon. So of course it's gonna leave with corn, but you're gonna have a bit of rye in there, which is gonna bring some spice, some oiliness, and some great texture and flavor. And Lynn, um, how many bottlings of Elijah Craig products are there at the moment? Are they all sort of interchangeable in the adaptation for a Manhattan recipe? So they are not all interchangeable. We have the Elijah Craig small batch, which is what I've used. So that's going to be classically what you're going to mix for a cocktail. It is 94 proof and it's a blend of eight to 12 year old barrels. Three times a year, we release the Elijah Craig barrel proof. And that could be anywhere from 128 to 140 something proof. 
Um, it's going to be different each year. Um, three years ago, Whiskey Advocate named it best whiskey in the world. We have the Elijah Craig 18. Um, so that is a, we only launched that once a year, and that is an 18-year-old whiskey. Um, bourbons tend to get kind of woody the older they get. But the Elijah Craig 18 just sings beautifully. Um, we have in the limited markets, about four markets right now, we're testing out an Elijah Craig rye. And we are now in the process of launching in um, a few markets across the country, um, an Elijah Craig double barrel. So we take essentially Elijah Craig small batch, and then that whiskey goes into another barrel that's been toasted, which adds a really lovely, unique sense of flavors. Um, when I tasted it, I got like butterscotch notes and such out of it from that double barreling. So that is the Elijah That sounds Craig. yummy. I haven't tried that yet. That sounds really good. You know, the other thing about wood is, is that if it goes a little bit too far, it can start getting ultra cinnamony. Absolutely. And really overtake. Um, it was a process wanted... that took quite a while with the cooperage that we work with, independent staves, with them doing different toasts for us. And so we are actually doing a proprietary toast with them for the Elijah Craig double barrel. Oh, nice. Now, listen, I want to talk about the bitters that go into a Manhattan. As I describe bitters in cocktails as being like baking powder in biscuits. You can leave it out and you'll still get a biscuit, but it won't be a light, fluffy biscuit. It just lifts the whole cocktail in right. my estimation. That's how I describe it. How I describe it as salt and pepper. Yeah. You, know, you have a beautiful piece of like a great steak. And it'll be a great steak, but you sprinkle just a little bit of salt and pepper on that sear, and then you've got a phenomenal steak. So right. it's the same thing with baking pot. It just, it lifts it, and it kind of ties all the flavors together. So and you know where it gets us? My favorite word, and Michael's going to tease me about this, and I do try and weave these words in, is irresistible. Nice. <laughs> you get to irresistible. You can't get to irresistible without the good bitters. Absolutely. <laughs> you gotta well, say I always say this, Lynn. Bitter party of one. Bitter party of one. <laughs> uh, you can be irresistibly bitter, I guess. I don't know. Um, but I'm going to tell you all a little trick about bitters that I learned. And it may have been Tony who taught me this. Was when I'm making a cocktail that has bitters in it, like a Manhattan, like an old-fashioned, where it's so important. I don't add the bitters until I'm done stirring and chilling the cocktail. Um, and with a Manhattan, please, 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 everyone watching, always stir it. Do not shake your Manhattan. You will bruise the booze and you will essentially be drinking a bourbon and water. Um, yep. But the reason why is you want those delicate aromatics to still be there. That's, you know, that whole part of lifting. If you put the bitters in too early, they'll blow off and you don't get all the benefits. So after I chilled it, I give it another stir. You know, people can play around with the bitters that they like to use. Um, you want to use a little orange bitters, um, Angostura. Uh, that's the classic. Opa, that was my spoon falling. And then I'm gonna. I'm using I'm using Gary Regan's uh, orange bitters just because I miss him. Right here. <laughs> I miss him too. He's a Virgo like me, and so I'm actually gonna finish it with a little dash of aromatic orange bitters on top because I really like how they play. And then with a the perfect Manhattan, because it is a drier Manhattan, you don't really want to do a cherry for it. That cherry is going to be too sweet. 
I like a lemon and I squeeze it so the oils just dance on the top. And then I take it and I rub it around the edge. And the reason why you're doing it, there's a lot of flavor and there's a lot of aromatics. And then you can garnish with that lemon peel if you want. And so then there you have it, just a perfect Manhattan. So a half ounce of dry vermouth, a half ounce of sweet vermouth, two ounces. I use the Elijah Craig small batch bourbon, some aromatic Angostura bitters, and finished it with a toast to my dear Virgo friend, um, Gaz Regan, with some Regan orange bitters. Well, listen, I'm going to uh, raise my glass to join you. Awesome. Uh, on this somber day when so many were lost, uh, in this moment where you're really feeling the need to be together, that we are here with you celebrating and um, toasting. And uh, the notion of conviviality when we're in pain may be more important than when we're happy. Do you have a house toast from Heaven Hill that you can share with us today? Oh, boy. Do you um, have a favorite? Well, a favorite one that's apropos <laughs> for the day. I just, I love to say, you know, to love happiness in life. My, my toast that I've been doing for the past seven months just to everybody is stay safe and stay sage, right? And a reminder to the world to be kind. Um, we have to look for the positive and the light right now. And a little bit of spirit can help you along the way with that. Cheers. Cheers. That was so beautiful, you guys. My mom's been gone. My mom's been gone a long time. Um, but she took me for my first Manhattan in the late in the year, the year I turned 25. And she took me to a, the Lennox Hotel in Boston. Where there was a fantastic vaudeville show happening, and that she took her to see the young <laughs> Gypsy Rose Lee. Go ahead, Jen. When we sat down at the piano bar for the sing-along Christmas carols, it was after Thanksgiving. And Eddie Canner came out and was singing Christmas carols with Gypsy Rose Lee. <laughs> and my mother proceeded to order two Crown Royal Manhattans for us. And she did so. I asked, well, wh what did you do that for? And she said, well, uh, you're 25 now and, and you'll be able to appreciate a Manhattan. I said, but but I turned 25 in June and she said, well, you can't really appreciate a Manhattan until after Thanksgiving. But I'm going to I'm going to say that in a year like this, where everything is all discombobulated and scumbody, that now is as good a time as any. And, and then she turned family. and said, Jennifer, this is Charlie Chaplin. Say hello. <laughs> he wouldn't have said and anything. Then, <laughs> And then, and then I'm gonna borrow, uh, and then I'm gonna borrow from two of my favorite champagne quotes. One from Winston Churchill: "In success, you deserve it, and in defeat, you need it." But Lynn, from Betty Davis herself, who said, "There comes a time in every woman's life where the only thing that helps is a, in this instance, a glass of champagne." We're gonna say a Manhattan. So, uh, thank you for being with us, and remind everybody where they get more information about the program taking place. Uh, at the many bars in Arizona, participating in the Cocktails to Go mentoring program. Uh, so you could go there. I know there were quite a few press releases out there in Arizona, um, but go look on the uh, websites for uh, Century Grand. Follow Kaylee Asher, you know, on Instagram. She's continually posting, checking with little rituals and all the other great bars that are around there. 
for all those phenomenal women who are creating these amazing cocktails. Thank you, Lynn. And uh, thank you, Lynn. What? What did you want to say? I saw you were about to keep going. What did you want to say to Lynn? No, I was going to say to you, thank you for this day. We, you know, I didn't want to be alone today. You guys keep saying what daily ritual? What was the name of the place? Little Rituals. It's the greatest. Little Rituals. And every time you both said it, I was thinking about Little Richard. Yes. It just sounds like you guys are like, who? And I was like, what is going on? Okay, that's all. That's where my head was today. Well, we have a big week next week. We're going to have a lot of fun. We've got great people coming to visit with us and hopefully more inspiration about how we can all make an adaptation to sustain and survive. But until then. And you're launching your new show. Yeah. Oh, we're launching. I am excited you brought that up. Proof Live. You, proof Can Live. Let's, let's show a little something about the Proof Awards now. Can we? Yes. Need a push getting your spirits, wine, or beverage brand into the hands of consumers? Interested in winning medals like a double gold award? Proof Awards 2020, the ultimate beverage competition, can help jumpstart your brand into the hands of beverage buyers. Enter the Proof Awards. Be a part of the Proof Awards marketing campaign with our partner, Food and Beverage Magazine. All of our judges are buyers, and that's what sets our awards program apart from the others. Our judges head the beverage programs for restaurants, bars, nightclubs, casinos, liquor stores, big box retail, and national wine and spirits distributors. Your brand will be tasted by buyers from more than 15 states across the U.S. We have hundreds of categories to choose from at www.proofawards.com. Be seen by 12 million readers with our partner, Food and Beverage Magazine. Get tasted and rated by buyers. The 2020 Proof Awards competition is open for spirits, wine, and beverage brands today. Proof Awards 2020, moving brands into the marketplace. www.proofawards.com. Whether you are thinking about becoming a restaurateur or you are already in the business, Michael Politz has written a must-read, The Food and Beverage Magazine's Guide to Restaurant Success. Pick up your copy today at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, Books A Million, or wherever fine books are sold. Wow, Jennifer, I love your ear. Everybody loves your ear. Can we can we play the new proof live? No, we wait. But I want to end on this note, right? No, here. no, no. I want to see. This it. is what we're gonna. No, we're gonna just on oh, a somber yeah. note. No, we miss right. you. We love you, Carrie. It's a very sad day, right? Five That's years, sad. and it feels just like yesterday. Um, and we'll see you guys next week. Thank you. Hug your kids. Count your blessings. What about your kids and your blessings?